It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Next is now. Welcome back to Inside Sources. Uh, we call this segment Next is Now because we're trying to look ahead and figure out uh, what we should be watching for, what we should be worried about, and what action we should take in the ho- in the face of a number of different challenges and, and opportunities that are in front of us in our communities and in our country. And uh, really pleased to be joined now by uh, truly one of the the really great thinkers in this world, uh, Bill Duncan uh, from Sutherland Institute. Uh, he is uh, focused there. He's a policy fellow for the Institute's Religious Freedom Policy uh, and uh, has been part of briefs before the uh, Supreme Court of the United States, uh, has taught uh, at the uh, excuse me, Catholic University of America's Columbus Law School of Law, and uh, is just one of the great people on the planet. Bill, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Gordon. Thanks for your kind words. Wonderful. So as we look at the uh, an interesting issue like uh, homelessness, uh, this is one of those interesting areas where uh, religious liberty, religious freedom, and government uh, continue to, to kind of bump into each other in some ways that are a little bit uh, head-scratching uh, when it comes to what are we actually doing to help people and create that upward mobility you're right. The the uh, you bump into bump into is exactly the right way of phrasing that. I don't think that uh, you know either side wants to have any conflict, but they but they come up just because we regulate more than we used to. And um, so we've recently written about a case in Texas that raises some of these concerns. Yeah. So so tell us, give us a little bit of the backstory in terms of this Texas case. It's it's a it's kind of a, a neat story. The, the the background is you have a, a ministry, a church uh, in uh, Dallas that uh, called Our Calling, and their their ministry is to uh, help homeless people as they transition uh, in life, both in terms of what we would think of as tangible resources, but also the spiritual resources that are also critical, and they provide both. Um, in in uh, in this last, uh, you know, people people who have family and friends in Texas know that there was a terrible uh, a winter uh, snap there where, you know, resources were strained because yeah. of the terrible cold and all of that. And during that period, the um, uh, or Our Calling and other uh, religious ministries and, and, uh, and other agencies were instrumental in keeping people safe, particularly homeless people who are more vulnerable during those time periods. But since that time, the city has uh, created a, an ordinance that, that blocks off a part of the downtown and says uh, that no temporary shelters can operate in that vicinity. There's no ill motive for doing that. It's probably meant just as a way to kind of move people to kind of uh, uh, more permanent shelters, but it has the effect of limiting what the um, uh this particular ministry can do because they're not a shelter, but they do uh, keep their doors open 24 hours when there's a, a critical need. So the, the 
ministry through their attorneys is trying to work with the city to create a, uh, an, an accommodation so that if there were a similar kind of emergency in the future, they'd be able to continue to operate according to their uh, beliefs and the, the doing the good work that they're doing. Yeah, and, and so interesting as we, again, especially looking at uh, the homeless situation. Of course, that's a, an issue right here in downtown Salt Lake City. Right. Uh, you uh, reference in your piece a uh, 2017 uh, study from Baylor University uh, of 11 U.S. cities that found that religious organizations provide over half of the emergency shelter beds for homeless people uh, in major cities across the country. That, that's right. It's, and it's a little, probably a little bit of an undercount because they're looking at groups like Salvation Army, Catholic Charities, rescue missions, things that many of us are familiar with. But, but as in the situation that I described, uh, a specific church may even allow its doors to be opened in, in certain circumstances. So, the, the number could be could be even. I'm sorry, the proportion could be even larger than that. But, but it, it, it illustrates what faith-based organizations do. Um, in the article, we note that the National Alliance to End Homelessness said that faith-based organizations are the backbone of homeless uh, response in the United States, which is, which I think is a, a telling um, uh, uh, characterization. Yeah, uh, and and so important, I think, uh, as as we look ahead. Uh, of course, there's been a, a number of battles in terms of that uh, separation or what faith-based organizations can or can't do. Uh, of course, under the Bush administration, there were a, a lot of those uh, partnerships between government and faith-based organizations. Uh, those were kind of curtailed and, and unraveled a bit uh, during the Obama administration. Uh, and many of these have ended up in cases that have worked their way through the court, some even to the Supreme Court. Uh, but Bill, with your your unique background and perspective on all of that, what do you see in the future? Again, if religious organizations are able to provide such a service uh, without taxpayer dollars, or in combination, or leveraging taxpayer dollars, uh, what what do we get to? What does it look like for the future? Well, some of the concerns that are raised that I think will continue to come up, and uh, you know, of course. This is a little bit of a problem with, with the way that we we do things is that we we zigzag so much between administrations yeah. and it makes it difficult for um, these organizations, many of which are are you know they're operated out of a, a, a religious motive and they're not uh, they're not necessarily lawyered up like other organizations <laughs> right, are. Right. Maybe maybe hard at times to restrictions, but but I think um, what we'll likely see is there'll be a push. For the, to allow the organizations to continue to put some limit, but at the same time to put some limitations on whether they can proselyte to people who receive their services sure. uh, and things like that. And I, I, I think that that's that's where the challenge is likely to come for a religious organization. Though the problem with that with that way of thinking is that the 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 uh, tangible benefits they give people in terms of shelter or beds or are not are not easily separable from uh, the desire to share with individuals who receive those services their belief, uh, for instance, that they're a child of God, that they're a person of worth, that they can, uh, you know, experience transformation. And, and I think I think in our pluralistic system, there's enough room for both approaches yeah. and uh, to, to allow that combination to exist. Yeah, uh, so important. That it's such a... Uh, a fascinating topic to me in terms of you know where these groups go again uh, looking at our calling uh, out of the state of Texas uh, and their ministry to help the homeless in downtown 
uh, Dallas uh, and other places. Uh, just so interesting to see how all of those things come together and uh, what will happen moving forward. It was well, we noted uh, just in the previous segment, Bill, that uh, the vice president, you know, called out that part of the the way to help the Northern Triangle of South America. Uh, is through civil society, is through a lot of these faith-based organizations. So the uh, the complexities, I think, are going to get harder uh, as we try to move this whole conversation forward. I think you're right. I think you're right. All right. Uh, Bill Duncan joining us from uh, Sutherland Institute. And a uh, great piece on there. You can go to sutherlandinstitute.org and uh, read Bill's piece. Uh, and so much uh, for us to think about as we really try to move it forward. And again, it was an interesting thing that the vice president, uh, Kamala Harris, made as she visited the Northern Triangle there in South America and talked about the need for civil society uh, to really come together to help these communities in these areas so that people won't feel the need to flee uh, and come to the uh, to the American border there. So a lot of very interesting, very complex uh, things that we're looking at in terms of those issues. And uh, Bill Duncan is always someone that I follow in terms of looking what's on the horizon, what's next, especially as it relates to this space of religious liberty and the role of religious organizations or faith-based organizations in the public square, uh, because that continues to be uh, debated. It continues to be regulated, as Bill mentioned, uh, in many places around the country, and a lot of those things end up in the courts and ultimately before the Supreme Court. So if you if you want someone to, for your next is now, look forward uh, to what's coming. Uh, Bill Duncan is uh, just such an extraordinary resource and uh, for us uh, to see what's coming down the pike. Great perspective, great insight as always. All right, we're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back... Uh, We're going to talk about that immigration and what it means when people come to America. We know why they're coming. Uh, What do they hope to accomplish? And what are the possibilities for all of us coming up next on KSL News Radio? Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.